This podcast is sponsored by Finomatch, finding the most suitable donor with the matching tool for the best teams. Hello, and welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Conversations. Today, we are joined by a lovely guest, Dr. Chloe Rumar, and she is the chairwoman of the board and co-founder of the Fertility Friends Foundation. Very early in life, when she had chosen the path that she would take as a career, Dr. Rumar was determined that she wanted and needed to go into pro bono work in her native country of Haiti, where the shortage of access to healthcare was tremendous and still is. However, after completing her medical studies and specialization in Canada, she was unable to practice in Haiti due to unforeseen circumstances. In her present work reality, Dr. Roma found that there was inequality among her fertility patients, which led to the creation of the Fertility Friends Foundation. So welcome, Dr. Chloe Roma, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Yay. Thank you. Uh, so to start off, we usually say, tell us a little bit about yourself as much or as little as you'd like to share and also your area of specialization. Yes, absolutely. So um, you have talked about um, a little bit about me in my in my bio, um, but uh, I am uh, originally from Haiti, born and raised, uh, and I uh, moved uh, away for my studies originally, first to the States and then to Canada. I studied um, medicine in Canada at uh, McGill in uh, Montreal, and then I did a residency in OBGYN and a fellowship, so a subspecialty in fertility and reproductive endocrinology. Um it, uh, it the plan was to go back to Haiti and practice there and uh, and have part of my work, uh, as you mentioned from my bio, to be uh, pro bono and to to really try to give back because um, the, growing up there, the the you know the inequalities are very very obvious and in healthcare they're 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 flagrant and um, unfortunately I I wasn't able to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, I ended up uh, marrying a Canadian, so as part of the ah. reason why I didn't go back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it wasn't uh, it's not it's not all a, a bad reason. That's not what I meant. <laughs> right. But uh, it was you know life uh, the the my life turned, and uh, so I ended up staying and um, lived in in Montreal for uh, until actually seven years ago. Uh, when I moved to to Toronto uh, to continue my practice here, uh, but as um, as I was, you know, as I, I've been practicing, uh, what became obvious when when you train in Canada and and it's um, you know healthcare is, is mostly covered uh, when you work in an area where it, the it it isn't all covered and the the price of treatment is is prohibitive prohibitive yeah. and it's very high um you end up seeing inequalities right uh even though it's a country that has uh, amazing health care and so infertility yeah. is one of those those, uh, those branches 
Um, and even though there is some coverage uh, in Ontario and in other provinces for fertility treatment, um, it's uh, often not enough, right? Yeah. So uh, people need to to try many times and things are very expensive. And so it, it, uh, it was troubling and it was hard to practice in that context. It still is because you end up seeing that um, sometimes people have to choose a different treatment or abandon uh, their dream of becoming parents because it's just not attainable. And yeah. so that led to um, myself and my husband, who actually has the exact same specialty. And so we work together and, and, and own a clinic together here in, in Toronto. Um, we would talk about this all the time and we thought it would be a great thing to um, start a foundation and to be able to officially and in an organized way help people um afford you know these these right. treatments so that's where that idea uh came from a couple of years ago that um we 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 started this foundation um on a professional level i i, I work as a fertility specialist uh and also do uh, OB, general ob and gynae so i follow pregnancies and i do um gynae care gynecological mm -hmm. care and um on a more personal level, I am a mom of four. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 quite fun. It's very chaotic, but quite fun. <laughs> and uh and so I I definitely uh enjoy spending time with with my kids they drive me nuts but they're wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and I I try to have fun as much as I can in my free time uh I like uh yeah I like uh, good food I like uh, going out with friends uh I have a big family most of them don't live in Canada so when I can I like to go visit them and and uh have uh just spend quality time and and yeah. laugh with them and reconnect um I, uh, yeah, I like to be outside, not when it's cold, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's overall me. And uh, I would love to do more in terms of giving back to Haiti directly, but it's just not possible right now uh, right. for me. But one of my big, um, that, a huge part of my heart is there. And uh, hopefully at some point I'll be able to integrate that into everything that I do. Maybe I'll have more time when my kids are a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do well, everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. That was really um, great getting an insight into your background and all that you do now. And of course your wonderful family. Um, thank, you. thank you for all that you're doing and still, you know, even giving back in Canada and still your plans of the future of, uh, giving back to Haiti as well. Um, it's interesting, like you said, that even though Canada has uh, free healthcare, um, there are certain aspects of it that are not really covered. And of course, fertility is one of those aspects. And uh, it just shows that uh, there's just so much that needs to be done across the globe, even for a country like Canada, which is ahead of many in terms of healthcare, are still not recognizing that um, more support is needed for, needed for people that are experiencing infertility. And of course, like you said, there is some kind of coverage, but just not enough. And, and of course, exactly. restrictions. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a blind spot, um, but already, you know, it's been, infertility has been recognized as, as a disease by the yeah. WHO. 
there's been lots of advances um, for the cause. And, and that's how, you know, coverage was even introduced. So we've come a long mm-hmm. way. There's still, there's always, you know, more to do. And at our foundation, we're, we're uh, we don't, that, that aspect we don't work on in terms of the political and the lobbying. So other organizations mm-hmm. work on those um, those aspects and that important work needs to be done as well. But uh, I think that we're, I think, you know, the the the, um, the conversations are, are, are happening and the awareness is there. And I think we're going in the right direction in terms of prioritizing um, uh, women's health, fertility care, you know, a lot of, a lot of aspects of medicine that maybe have been neglected or that have not been on the forefront for whatever reason uh, yeah. are being brought, you know, to the forefront. And so I think, I think we're on the right path and it's positive. So, yeah, definitely. And thank you for being a part of that change as well and support for people um, trying to conceive. So it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's great to be part of uh, it's very, very gratifying and very, um, it, it makes you miss makes my my uh my work worthwhile <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and of course you noted that you're not uh, as a foundation you're not focused on the lobbying aspect so what does fertility friends foundation focus on so we are um, a canadian registered charity and uh the work that we do is we provide uh financial assistance in the form of grants uh to uh individuals or or couples or families uh trying to conceive and we cover expenses related to um to the cost of ivf uh egg and sperm donation and surrogacy um wow. and as a second aspect of our work, we also provide uh, education and support in the form of for our grants uh, recipients in the form of access to allied health professionals. So fertility uh, is not only about doing the fertility treatments, which is the part that we cover as physicians and OBGYNs and, and reproductive endocrinologists, but there's so much more uh, that, that patients and people need um, such as, you know, nutrition and, and, and wellness, uh, acupuncture, mm-hmm. osteopath, um, what have you, what, whatever it is that they need. And so we have a network of these allied health uh, professionals that we give our grant recipients access to uh, and who uh, give some of their services for free. And um, that, helps to accompany our our recipients uh on their journey because we want it to right. be holistic and we know the financial burden is heavy but we want to yeah. also leave that but also you know um assist in other ways and we find that those are the 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 ways that the the physician which is mm-hmm. who's at the center of the 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 treatment cannot do those things because a it's not our training and b we don't have the time we just don't have the time to do it so yeah. this is the foundation comes in that's amazing (laughs) makes it a well-rounded support well done yes it's it's the hope that that's that's the that's the thought behind it definitely (laughs) yeah and who can access the grant is it anyone in canada or do they have to be in a certain location so at this point in time we're we're only in ontario for the Mm -hmm. moment uh, so it's open to anyone um, that is a Canadian resident or citizen and residing in Ontario for now. Um, and uh, you can be followed in any fertility clinic in Ontario. So it's not clinic specific. Ah, it's nice. geared. And we give out grants to um, to people who are selected through our program, whether whichever clinic they're they're treated as at. So there, the clinic would receive the grant to go towards that patient's uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and do people 
have to then go on your website to apply or how does that work? So we have application cycles. So for now, we're opening twice a year. So this may, may change depending on the volume that we see and how sort of things evolve. But for now, we open once in the spring and once in the fall. So we just um, finished a cycle uh, just in, in November. Uh, when the application cycle opens, uh, you go to our website at Fertility Friends Foundation. Actually, I, I didn't say the name of the foundation before. So that was <laughs> Yeah. A little detail. Um, the Fertility Friends Foundation website and on there uh, is the opportunity to apply. And like I said, the platform opens twice a year and um, it's uh, it's a fairly straightforward process where you, you fill out a form and then there are documents that your um, fertility clinic has, has to fill out. So a medical form uh, and then some financial information that we require to to be able to evaluate the candidacy. And then we have uh, committees that review the applications uh, anonymously, and then uh, grant recipients are selected at the end of that process and then are announced. And uh, when they are going, when they are ready to go through their treatment, um, that's when the grant is given out to the clinic to cover the treatment as it's, uh, it's about to happen. Amazing. And it's mm-hmm. great that you're actually covering a wide range of uh, treatment options as well. So it's not just IVF, uh, you also see people uh, considering donor conception and even surrogacy. That's amazing. Cause, yes, uh, because we know that the costs go up yeah. so fast in those cases where you need a third party. And we know exactly. uh, that it's it's a small amount for now. We've given out over 30 grants of $5,000 already in the last uh, wow. two years been in operation so it's it's huge for a new uh foundation but we are wonderful (laughs) thank you you. we're very proud and we're hoping to grow obviously to be able to give more and uh and have a bigger uh bigger impact but uh it's already uh something to be very proud of and so we're yeah we're very we're very uh we're very happy uh, for for what we've done so far and we we the the fundraising um is the other aspect obviously there's the recipients and the, the givers and sometimes mm-hmm. the recipients also give which is yeah. uh, which is amazing um so that uh, that's the other part of our work where um of course we you we accept donations year year round and you can go on the website to donate but we also have events that we plan um crowdfunding or or actual events uh we've had a walk uh walk run walk slash run um last year in the spring as a fundraiser we have had um fundraisers on, through social media where we've had a drive of 25 donations in 25 hours yeah uh, i saw that over. recently yeah, yeah. So we have a few events a year. And then obviously, throughout um, the year, people can donate uh, anytime. And then there's pe- there's um, there's been instances where people have chosen us as um, a charity uh, for people to donate instead of giving them gifts, like for ah, weddings okay. or occasions. So we've had really, really lovely um, gestures that have been done. Um, it's, you know, it, there's, it's very rare that, that you talk to people and they haven't been either personally or indirectly affected uh, because the numbers are staggering. It's one in six. It is. That's crazy. It's a crazy amount of people. And wow. so right away people say oh you know i am my friend my cousin my sister i, I know someone my brother etc and and they they reach out and 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 given every little bit you know helps because we we um it all goes towards the grants so yeah. it's um we we're we're a small uh 
organization and we we have our one um you know executive director who who takes care of all the operations but everybody else is is on the board uh and is uh is um is not a they're not salaried so we can keep right. our costs down and and uh what we raise goes towards the funds so it's um every little bit counts because it goes directly towards the grants yeah wow yeah. the small foundation doing big things yes <laughs> <laughs> amazing well done thank you i was just going to actually ask how people can support you so thank you for highlighting that as well and um showing different ways where people can also give to the foundation Absolutely. And usually we, we, you know, if we, you follow us um, on social media or you visit the website, we're very um, vocal about uh, all of the events and, uh, and all the fundraising um, opportunities as they, as they come. But of course, if it's, you know, just a uh, random time of the year, then you then just go to the website. But, but when we have events, it's always more fun for people to join when there's something happening. And so we're, yeah. we're very public about those. So if you, if uh, people want to follow us, they'll surely see us um, advertising what's coming up next on our on social and on the website. Yeah, you do an incredible job uh, with that, actually, because I follow you on Instagram and it's like every single day there's an amazing post and something letting us know what's happening and educating people, creating awareness. So I'm glad you enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you. Much. I don't Thank do you. it personally, of course. Because that, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not me, but I, but uh, we have a, a good team with us. <laughs> yeah. But you also do the lives. I've seen you on some IG lives as well. With uh, I have, I yeah. have, I've had to come out of my shell a little bit because <laughs> I'm, I'm a little shy, but I have. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, which is why, you know, while we have you here, we do definitely have to ask you some questions, some fertility related questions. I know that your your specialties and in, infertility as one of your um, options. So while we have you here, um, just wanted to also ask you some questions. Please uh, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, this time I'm going to be asking about endometriosis. I mean, this is uh, an aspect oh, of fertility yeah. that is um, affects so many people across the globe and uh, not really understood, actually. Um, so mm -hmm. lots of unknowns. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it's said to impact roughly about 10% of uh, women of reproductive age and girls globally um and yet some people go on for years without being diagnosed um You're so, there, hmm. so how i mean how can people get are there symptoms that people can look out for to perhaps be able to seek help faster there, there are there definitely are um not to say that there they always are so some people don't have symptoms. And so in uh, those cases, um, that can explain the the delay in in finding uh, the disease. And, and it may just come up, if, you know, randomly, if they happen to have a surgery for something else, and it's found, or they present with infertility. And then as we're working them up, we we find the disease, but it was pretty much asymptomatic, but we'll go over symptoms, because that's sort of where you can actually do something. Um, yeah. So the, the it's, I think there's a, a bit of, um, what we need to demystify is that we sometimes we normalize certain symptoms as women and 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 maybe society normalizes them as well. Uh, I think it's important to say that one of one of the main symptoms of endometriosis is painful periods, painful menses. Um, and uh, 
there there can be some pain with with periods, right? Cramping, and we know this. Uh, but um, if it is incapacitating, if it's if it's extreme, if it's severe, if you have to take time off from school, from work, you're you're doubled over. You have to take medication. It's probably not normal. It's it's probably too much. And there again, you know, people will say, oh, it's different pain tolerance. Maybe you know this, that, the other. If you're worried, if you have a lot of pain, if it seems to be interfering with your life, it's every month, it's extreme, you you should see a gynecologist about it. Um, there are chances that you, that are, the chances are quite high that there's something there. It may not be endometriosis, but it's one of the main symptoms. So that's something that, you know, I, I tell people where, the pain aspect is a hard one because you're feeling it and it's not, it's hard to, it's not objective. Right. Mm. But it is in a way because people around you will see you not being able to get up, et cetera. So it, it's, this is the first symptom. And if it seems abnormal, even if people are telling you it's normal, you know, if, if it doesn't feel right, then consult, that's one of the main symptoms. Um, other symptoms uh, involve uh, painful intercourse, so pain uh, during sexual intercourse. Um, that also will have different, um, you know, people might not report, etc. But it's it's uh, it's important to look out for that. It's usually deep uh, pain that people report. Um, the pain sometimes with the period, as I mentioned before, it, it's abdominal, but sometimes it'll go down the legs in the back. So that's also something to, to be aware of because it depends where the disease is. Um, in terms of uh, cycles, sometimes cycles can be, you can have, you know, a little bit of irregular bleeding because if the there are lesions that are present um, maybe in the cervix and whatnot, you can have spotting, things like that. So um those can be uh, some of the symptoms. Um, uh, people will will report um, dip, again because we're going to talk about what I guess what endometriosis is, but exactly, because there yeah. are that can be in different places, the symptoms are related to to where these symptoms are. And so, for example, if they're near the bladder, then you can have symptoms when uh, urinating. So with emptying your bladder, cramping, pain, and sometimes uh, some blood as well. And the same thing uh, um, when you're having a bowel movement. So pain with bowel movements and sometimes bleeding if there's a, a lesion there. So those are some of the the main um, symptoms. The pain can be at other parts of the cycle. We talked about during the, the period, during the menses, but it can be at any point um, in the cycle as well or clustered around ovulation. So mid-cycle, if, if, um, if, um, you know, if that's where you're, you're feeling the pain, that can be um, also endometriosis. So those, those are the main symptoms, I would say. But like I said, it can be asymptomatic, so no symptom, and it can be found in the context of a workup for something else, such as infertility, um, or if you're having a surgery, let's say, for something else, and it is seen inside your, your abdomen. Wow. Perhaps that adds to the reason why it's so hard to diagnose, right? Because, I mean, if you're not even feeling any pain in some cases. Um, yes. Then you and and even if you are, sometimes it can resemble other things because it, it, it you know, is it a urine uh, infection? Is it a bowel issue? Is it digestive, yeah. right? So um, it's, it's hard to tell when other systems are affected. And um, also people will, will, um, will complain of, of, of fatigue and, and just general, generally feeling unwell. And, you know, when you have chronic pain like that associated 
um, mental health issues are often found. So people will, you know, have depression or anxiety around this time because they are in pain every month. Right. So, yeah. or all the time. So we, those are sort of associated findings. Hmm. Wow. So much support is needed and awareness about this then, because it can impact so many things like you've highlighted. I mean, the mental health aspect, but even the being able to function on a daily basis or certain times of the month. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, it's important to mention um, that, you know, you said that the sport is needed and because it's, it's um, n- not so much talked about and not well recognized and because it's around a sensitive topic, yeah. um, such as menses, people will, won't report, for example, to their employer because they don't want to talk about that with their employer. So they won't say why, why they're missing work or what's wrong. Right. Yeah. Because it's still taboo to talk about this and it's personal and it's, it's private. So that yeah. also is an obstacle to, um, more support and, 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 and awareness. Is there yeah. topics don't talk about, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, some people have normalized it. Like, Oh, what's the big deal? Everyone feels pain. It's normal. Mm-hmm. So what? Just take painkillers. And of course that's not the reality. Exactly. And then time passes and the diagnosis isn't made. And then during that time, the disease, um, spreads and gets worse. Um, so it, 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 you know, contributes to the delay, but also probably to the severity of the disease when it's found because time has gone by. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is endometriosis? So it's, <laughs> we should have started there, but we went the other way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a disease mostly of the, the pelvic organs, but um, it can be found in other parts of the body. So it has been found even in the lungs even, but it's primarily in the pelvic organs. And what it is, is it's um, deposits or lesions that are made up of the cells that are normally inside the uterus. So inside the, the lining of the uterus, um, right. the, the, the cells that shed yeah, when you have your, your period. Um, and those cells are found, and they're not exactly like the ones in the uterus, but very close. They're just a little different, but very close to the ones in the uterus. And they're found outside. So they're supposed to only be in that lining. So the endometrium um, right. lining, and they are found elsewhere. The most common places where they're found uh, is on the fallopian tubes, uh, in the on the ovaries, um, and in in the pelvis. So inside the abdomen, on different organs, so on the bladder, on um, the the digestive um, system, and just on just the peritoneum. So the layer that covers everything inside um, right. the abdomen. But it can go higher up, so under the diaphragm, so up towards the the thorax so towards the chest and then sometimes even in the lungs so it can be it can be um higher up but it's primarily in the in the pelvic um area and it's 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 interesting because um there's many theories as to how it develops and originally people thought that it came about um from retrograde menstruation and what that means is that the the menstrual blood and the cells that are inside the uterus they're supposed to shed outward towards the cervix, the vagina and out. And sometimes they, these cells can go up the other way. So up through the fallopian tubes and then out into the abdomen. So that's retrograde menstruation. And they thought, well, that makes sense because then the cells sort of migrate and then implant inside um, the abdomen. But um, it's, it's not, it's, it's probably part of the explanation, but it's not complete because uh, most women will have a certain degree 
of retrograde menstruation, but not everyone will have endometriosis. So there's right. probably um, a component of your immune system that doesn't recognize these cells as wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here. I'm going to destroy the cell. So people who end up developing it, there's an immune component um, where your your body doesn't remove those cells from this, this uh, spot where they're not supposed to be. And then there's probably also um, spread through the blood because there's no way otherwise that it would get to the lungs. So it pro- they right. probably get into the bloodstream and migrate. And that's how... Um, they get to to the lungs. So those are are some of the theories. And then there, there's also a theory where the cells that are in the abdomen transform into uterine um, uterus cells or endometrial cells. Just they, oh, wow. you know, they so mutate. I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. Um, so all probably all of this happens. They're probably all right um, theories, but um, yeah, I haven't pinpoint pinpointed one down but definitely there's must be an immune component otherwise everyone who has periods that go backwards would have endometriosis and that's not the case yeah mm. wow and i guess for the if the, for that potential uh, explanation for retrograde menstruation, uh, menstruation that might explain why some people develop endometriosis later right not like some people don't seem to have like some people say, well, they had zero symptoms earlier and then perhaps later on in the years, they started mm-hmm. having painful periods and then. Because then they have, have had a few menstruations before it yeah. starts. Yes, yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. And also the way that they they thought of this, uh, this hypothesis is because some people uh, who are born with an obstruction of the flow. So, so a, a malformation, something that, you know, they're born with the way their uterus is where the blood cannot. Um, cannot exit. So there's Ah, a block. Those, um, those uh, women, those females will have a higher rate of endometriosis because then the retrograde menstruation is, is much more important. So that that's where that came, came from. So those people will, will be, it won't be 10%. It'll be like 90% of them will have um, endometriosis. Yeah. Wow. And is there, Anything that people can do to prevent themselves from having endometriosis or not? You you can't really prevent it. Um, right. There's uh, there's family history, so you can suspect that you can suspect that you might be at risk from other people in your family having it. But even with that knowledge, there's not really much you can do unless you were to stop your your menstruations. But even that, I mean, it's, it's that you don't usually do that. And even when you yeah. go on, on hormonal contraception and you can take it continuously and skip periods, you usually uh, end up having, um, you know, a few periods a year, even when you, you go uh, on that. And most people won't, um, won't use that sort of um, use of, of contraception unless yeah. we're doing it to prevent and to, to, to stop the progression of endometriosis. It's rare that you'll start contraception and right away take the pill like that. It's, it, it, it happens, but usually people take it monthly unless there's a, there's a reason. So mm-hmm. usually when we prescribe it that way, it, it, we're, we're trying to prevent something. So it's usually people who have painful periods and we suspect endometriosis. So we want to skip periods in the year so that we give them a break. And if we're suspecting endometriosis, we want it to not spread or slow it down. But it's rare that you'll come as a as a first time needing contraception and we'll say, oh, you're going to take the pill continuously. It's not usually the way it's prescribed. Right. So what I mean is, is it would be 
hard to to prevent it from developing by mm-hmm. this sort of use of of hormonal contraception it, it's just not done in even if there's family history it doesn't mean you'll have it 100% so you, physicians are not going to prescribe it in in a yeah. continuous fashion just to prevent it because you know your sister had it or right. something like that so right. yeah okay so if there's no way we can prevent it is there <laughs> any way we can stop it from getting worse or perhaps are there certain things that we can avoid doing who could, which could potentially make it worse yes so if we if we suspect endometriosis or if we actually have diagnosed it so it's a bit hard to diagnose um officially because the diagnosis for it to be made and confirmed you have to have tissue so either obtain tissue through surgery so you do a laparoscopy or a surgery with you know with a camera and put uh, instruments through little holes in the abdomen and then you look you see lesions that look like endometriosis you take them you you biopsy and then send them to the pathologist and they look and say it is endometriosis so mm-hmm. that's how you have your official diagnosis or you may have lesions that are present present in the vagina or in the on the cervix and then you don't have to do a surgery you can take those you know, in the clinic, but usually it's, it's, it's through surgery and then sending it to pathology. So that's when you have a confirmed diagnosis. We don't necessarily do that to, to treat people. So when we suspect it highly through clinical symptoms, um, we, we treat as if people have it. So we say high clinical suspicion and then we, we treat. So to your question, what can we do? How do we, um, treat it, slow it down? If we, um, have are not doing a surgery. So if we're treating medically and what we're trying to do is reduce um, the, 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 the number of, of uh, cycling episodes. So uh, of menses of periods mm-hmm. per, per year. So we usually uh, use hormonal contraception for that um, either, you know, the pill, which has both estrogen and progesterone, or there are other molecules that contain um, only progesterone that, um, that keep that don't necessarily prevent you from ovulating, but that um, make the lesions inactive. So keep them from um, growing and shedding because that's what happens each month. So they they go through a cycle just like your lining does. Mm-hmm. So if you give a medication that prevents that from happening, then those lesions will potentially not grow, and then that will reduce you know the how deep they 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 grow and how much pain they're causing and how much damage because they there's scar tissue that forms each time um they're allowed to to grow and shed um because there's sort of growing and healing so the mm-hmm. scar tissue forms or if it's on the ovary sometimes a big cyst will form or an endometrioma so a cyst filled with with brown fluid um which is blood basically and then also destruction of the organs so the 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 tubes if the lesions are on the tubes they get distorted and twisted and and um blocked sometimes or filled with fluid or if it's at the ovary level then you get destruction of the good eggs that are there because they're replaced by these deposits and these cysts so you want all that activity to not be happening every month so um other treatments aside from uh, oral sort of the pill that we know or progesterone um uh components you also have injections that you can give that stop um the whole cycle, but at the brain level, meaning the hormone that we give through the injection, it tells it, it puts you sort of in a medical menopause. So it stops Mm -hmm. the brain from giving the message to um, your reproductive organs to, you know, make an egg, prepare the uterus for a pregnancy each month. Um, 
those work quite well, but they have a lot of side effects because then you start having hot flashes and, and some of the symptoms of menopause. So we can, um, give back a little bit of those hormones to compensate for those symptoms. And that's usually how we do it. If, if that's the the treatment that we choose, those are sort of the medicated treatments. Um, and then you have uh, pain management. So you may give these hormonal options to slow things down, but the patient has the lesions that they have already. And so they're already dealing with that pain and those don't usually go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do have to still deal with the pain. So anti-inflammatory medications, nar- narcotics, a lot of these patients are sometimes on some really, really big, um, you know, strong pain medications. And it's hard to function because those have side yeah. effects, making you sleepy and, you know, woozy and then can't work or you can't go to school. So it's, it's, it's not a, it's, um, it's a heavy societal, um, burden and social burden um, as well. But um, the sort of um, other options are surgical, right? But when you go into surgery, you there's always risks, right? So we always hesitate, do we go in, do we not go in? And when do you go in? Because um, the disease tends to come back. So often we try to couple the timing of surgery with, for example, if the person's trying to conceive, um, then we might do the surgery to increase their chances of conceiving naturally by reducing the amount of the disease by going in and treating it and burning the lesions, or you do it right before doing an IVF cycle or in vitro fertilization. So fertility treatment, because you want to be able to access the ovaries. So for example, there's big cysts and you can't see, or you don't want to poke through them. So you do the surgery to sort of remove um, as much of the disease as you can, or to liberate the tubes, if there's scar tissue. So the surgery is used to do all that, but also to remove the lesions. If you're going in for the pain factor and the actual well-being of the patient and not necessarily fertility, then you want to remove those lesions. So they have to be actually cut out and removed. Um, And they can be in really hard to to reach places. And so it's very difficult surgery. It's delicate surgery. You're near uh, bowel, bladder, nerves, blood vessels. So it's, it's very similar to cancer surgery because the lesions sort of spread a little bit like cancer. They stick to things and, and, uh, it's, it's difficult surgery. So people specialize in this sort this type of surgery as gynecologists or sometimes general surgeons, but mostly gynecologists, uh, will specialize in this kind of surgery and, and to make it minimally invasive. So to do it through laparoscopy, not to do a big cut and, um, and to be, delicate with the tissues because these are often people who have not completed their family and may want children so you can't remove everything which would be the ways to treat things but you can't because they need to um they need their ovaries they need their their tubes (laughs) so Um, yeah for something that has such a huge impact i mean listening to you i just thought wow there needs to be more awareness and education and support it just seems like it's neglected but it's you're you're 100 percent right you're 100 wow. right. it is neglected and and uh there needs to be more awareness and it, it's that also i think is going in the right uh uh direction and there are you know groups in toronto who we've we've worked with and gone to their events and i was actually one of a, a speaker um with them uh last uh, last year this year um the um, that uh, focus on, on endometriosis and, you know, 
and it's 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 impact and they yeah. do great work uh in terms of awareness uh and uh, i think it's it's getting better but it is it is misunderstood and and not well um and not uh, talked about enough for some of the reasons that we've already mentioned mm-hmm. um unfortunately the, the this taboo that is still there um but also uh misdiagnosed or late diagnosis um is one of those the quest- the consequences of not talking about it and not you know teaching uh people about it so that that's a that's a very sad uh, consequence because you know when we see patients and it's it's when you question them you know this has been going on for 15 years and it's never been you know thoroughly looked at or they maybe haven't been listened listened to or they were afraid to consult because they didn't they thought it was normal and here we are you know and now they're you know 38 so age is a factor in their uh infertility plus they have um endometriosis and so it's so many strikes against them and if we had known earlier we could have suggested you know to freeze their eggs for example or to if they could you know start their family earlier if this was something that was a choice you know and and things like that or to put them on medication or you know delay you know do or what we do usually when someone wants to delay um childbearing but wants to keep the opportunity um to have to have children someday so it's a bit frustrating (laughs) Yeah, so sh- so should we be, I mean, because again, in some cases, it's silent. And even it being silent could be impacting different organs, as you've highlighted. Uh, should we all automatically, young girls, young women, be getting checked at some point to see if we have it and to say perhaps if you want to freeze our eggs or is there... It- it's a hard question because there isn't really a great screening test for it. So when we say get checked, it's, I mean, how are we checking, right? Because yeah. if we're doing an ultrasound and we don't see anything on it, it doesn't mean there isn't endometriosis because there the lesions are often not seen on ultrasound. So what you see on ultrasound is when there's a cyst or when something is bigger, um, you can see lesions on MRI, but we're, we're not going to send all our girls and women of course. to MRI. No, it's so <laughs> yeah. Using the resources and, and, and also just doing a test for, for no reason. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a benign thing. Um, I would say if there's any reason to suspect it or to worry about it in terms of family history or pain or symptoms, hundred percent, um, get checked, talk to someone about it. And then if, if it's, there is a clinical suspicion, then, then, you know, freezing your eggs, uh, if that's something that aligns with your, your, your plans and your possibilities, Mm -hmm. then that's something to consider, um, ideally before 35, um, if, if endometriosis is present for sure, that's something to consider. Um, because like I said, the more you delay, then you add other factors. To, pos- to that possibly will contribute to infertility. I'm not saying 100% if you have endometriosis, you will have infertility, but it is one of the causes and associations with infertility for the reasons that we talked about. So destruction of the eggs, if the lesions are at the ov- ovary level, problems with the tubes being blo- blocked or distorted, um, the lining not being great quality, um, all this inflammation that's present. We talked about the immune system being yeah. um, not great at detecting these cells and removing them. There's also this inflammation um, happening. And uh, so implantation, so a- an embryo implanting, also these these women have lower chances of implantation. So even if they get an egg, it fertilizes, it goes down the tube, or we get an egg through IVF, 
fertilize outside of the body, put it back, they still have a lower chance. So um, you don't want to be adding age and other factors. If you already know you have endometriosis, it'd be a great idea um, to freeze eggs if that is a possibility for, for that person. Um, in terms of screening, yeah, like I said, we don't have great screening tests, so it's hard to say what to do for everyone at large. Um, yeah. Just because you're you're not going to get much out of out of um an ultrasound if it's normal it doesn't mean you don't have anything a gynecological yeah. exam you know palpation checking if we don't see anything it doesn't mean there isn't anything but at least you know if you're having your regular follow-ups um if something is to be caught then then great so i'm not saying not to go definitely go for your pap test and regular checkups and then if there's something that comes up then it can be found but there really isn't a screening test right. for endometriosis so unfortunately wow perhaps in the future with more research maybe there will be a blood test or something that we absolutely can... and i i think that's where <laughs> things are going to go and it's going to be it's going to be genetic it's going to be some you know yeah. some marker or something like that that is going to be found uh in the blood i'm sure i'm sure we're gonna we're gonna get to that that would be amazing it would it would <laughs> definitely be <amazing. laughs> and some people have said i mean i've heard it just around some people might say that endometriosis can be cured by having a baby or they know someone that as soon as they had a baby all the symptoms went away is mm-hmm. that a myth or is that a factual it's it's partly a myth if that's an answer <laughs> it, does, it does happen in some people it does happen in some people where they'll um have a pregnancy and uh during during the time that they're pregnant they're not cycling right they're not having periods they're not ovulating because they're pregnant mm-hmm. and so the disease presumably is quiescent and then after they deliver um it doesn't you know it doesn't come back um it can happen um but it it's it's not um it shouldn't be thought of oh if i just get pregnant and have a baby my <laughs> it's not a cure for it's not it. a cure right okay. no it's not it's really not and we really shouldn't be telling women that also because that's the expectation and then you know it doesn't happen especially if you have deep lesions they're already there and they're you know stuck to a nerve and they're 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 deep and they've done their damage already in the scar tissue and whatnot even if they're not active anymore that damage is already done so it, right. it, the cure is only surgical in that case because even if you give you you control with hormones um that's going to prevent the the activity but the the what's already been done that's you can only do surgery for that so so that's why I said it's part part myth because it does happen but it's probably someone that has lighter disease because there's you know there's severity and gradings um it's probably it would be someone that maybe has more superficial lesions that are not active for you know nine months even longer because if you don't start having cycles right away let's say if you're you know you're nursing or your your periods don't come back and so all that time it could be a year right without any um cycles or more then um they they might just dry up and heal but it's probably in people who have um less severe disease i would say right wow Thank you so much, Dr. Uma. I'm so glad that I actually uh, took this opportunity to ask you these questions about endometriosis. I feel like myself and everyone listening has just been well-educated. I know that you're so knowledgeable in this aspect from, of course, following um, 
the Fertility Friends Foundation on Instagram and seeing many of the conversations you've had and places you've gone to. Um, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time, uh, having you here today, knowing that we're going to speak about Fertility Friends Foundation. But uh, knowing that and hoping that I could ask some fertility related questions uh, was amazing. And thank you so much for um, taking the time to educate us. And Demetrius is such a, like you highlighted, such a big condition that impacts so many across the globe. So having you share so much information and knowledge uh, to educate us is um, so highly appreciated. So thank you. Well, it's it's my it's my pleasure, and it's it's uh, it's always a a pleasure to to talk to to people that are doing you know good doing the good the great work and and uh, educating and advocating for um, those who have less of a voice or talking about um, diseases that are less talked about and. Right you know, every time we have these conversations and we, we, we raise awareness, somebody that's listening will, you know, say, Oh, this, this, this uh, resonates and maybe I, sh I can do something about it. And so that's yeah. the hope anyway, that, um, that it'll help people consult more um, or sooner so that right. they can, their problems can be addressed, whether uh, they are fertility related or uh, pain or just finding out what what's wrong with them. Right. right. Because um, just no, the knowledge and, and the relief of knowing that uh, it's not all in your head or that you, you know, you didn't, you're not uh, exactly imagining this and putting a, putting a name on it and then hopefully getting treatment or management or, or prevention of, of, uh, complications or prevention of, uh, or addressing fertility concerns and whatnot. So it's because there's so much that's in the timing for right. fertility for endometriosis in general, because of its progression. So I think where we have to do the work is in the awareness and letting yes. people know this exists and this, these are the symptoms and this is what you, you should do and be looking for and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy to, to have been a part of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know for anyone listening, wanting to reach out to you, cause I mean, we can all hear the passion in your voice and you wanting to oh, just, <laughs> but people wanting to reach out to you. What's the best way to reach you? Is it through Fertility Friends Foundation or what clinic are you at? How can they connect with you? So we are at Tripod Fertility Clinic right. in uh, Toronto. So we can be reached through our website um, if uh, people want to um, to consult for uh, right. either fertility concern, uh, obstetrical, so pregnancy, prenatal care, uh, or a gynecological concern. Uh, there is uh, you can self refer through our website at tripodfertility.com. And um, you can also ask your family physician or another physician to refer you. So we have both right. avenues that are that are welcome. And uh, we're two physicians there, myself and uh, Frederick Zaniki, who is my husband and working partner yeah. and colleague. And yeah, we work together. And, uh, and then, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's actually quite nice. I, I was hesitant at first. I but, know, right? Because the people say that it's not so good. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But it's 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 quite nice. We work well together. We work differently, but it, we complement each other well. And it's nice you have kind of a built-in second opinion, and you can yeah. bounce things off each other. So it's oh, uh, lovely. It's, yeah, it's very it's it works uh, quite well. And then um, through for the foundation, so anything uh, foundation related, um, mm -hmm. we have our uh, through our website. Uh, you can you know submit questions or write um, uh, send an email. All our info is in the 
the contact uh, right. section of Fertility Friends Foundation website or uh, on any of the social media. Um, you can reach us through um, DMs or or get uh, get you know click the link there and, and access the website through through that uh, that way. Whichever way is easier for for everyone. Okay. That's great. I'll put the details as well in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Thank um, you. Thank you. That would be great. You. Thank you so much. And, and hopefully in the next, whenever I'm in Toronto next, I used to live in Toronto actually. And uh, uh, whenever I'm there next, I would uh, look forward to coming to say hello. At, that uh, would be, that would be great. Yeah. Yes, that would be great. We would love to, we would love to meet in person. It's a, yes, it's, it's uh, virtual virtual world you talk to to people and then you you don't you don't get to meet in person as much as we would like so that would be lovely yes thank you I look forward to it um and as a wrap-up is there any other information or word of encouragement that you'd like to share with anyone listening right now and currently navigating that fertility journey I would say um, that uh, make sure you're listened to. So make sure wherever you're you're being uh, followed and people who are are helping you along the journey, um, because I find that often patients not always have the key. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's in the patient where knowing what the problem is and and what direction the solution should take. Um, so I think it's important to have a good relationship with the people that are uh, caring for you because that keeps the hope going um, right. and uh, to, to continue because it's a hard, it's it's very trying, it's a hard journey psychologically and, and, uh, and financially. And then the other thing I would say is if you need extra support, um, you know, don't be afraid to to go out and look for it. We're one organization, but there are so many that uh, support patients uh, going through infertility uh, or, you know, women going through conditions such as endometriosis, which we talked about today. Um, so don't be afraid. There's a community out there for sure uh, yeah. that can help and support you. And it's important not to be to be alone, you know, to reach out because that's often where you find uh, answers and things that you just you hadn't thought of because you didn't know that it was yeah. out there, like financial solutions or or groups, support groups, um, yeah. you know, pain management, a, a specialty you didn't know about that can help with this or that. So I think um, make sure you you look around and so that you can advocate for yourself and see what's out there and have a a good trusting, good relationship with the people caring for you so that you can, um, you share your concern and concerns and you're heard. That's yeah. important. That's my message. <laughs> well said, Dr. Ruma. Thank you so much. Um, it's my pleasure. For your time again today, um, for your passion, for all that you're doing to educate, to support, to create awareness for so many uh, across the globe, Uh, you're just not reaching only people in Canada you are reaching lots of people across the globe so thank you for all that you're doing Um, and thank you for also choosing Friends Foundation it is amazing what you're doing Um, for many people the financial aspect is the part that rules them out that doesn't give them a chance at all because they just cannot afford it so Mm -hmm for you creating that foundation to reach so many individuals and couples and families to be able to um, get their dream of expanding their family families is amazing. So thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for, for everything and for what you're still planning to do to reach out to Haiti and to so many other communities. Um, you're truly appreciated. And uh, 
and look forward to meeting you in person and opening and hopefully again having you again in the near future to speak to you again. Thank you so much. You're really it appreciated. Would, it would be my pleasure to to come back and speak to you and and thank you for your kind words. I hope I have many uh, years of a lot of energy to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. I'll be cheering you on. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks yes. for having me. Take care. You too. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.